This is a special edition of the DeFalco Faust with host DJ Impact and the host of the DeFalco Faust, Matt Michaels. The truth is here. The truth is here. The truth is right here. Special edition. Special edition. Welcome to this special edition of the DeFalco Files. I'm DJ Impact and with me is Matt Michaels. And of course, we represent the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. If you followed our social media, you saw the announcement of the passing of Joe DeFalco's mother, Freddie. And we at Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting send our condolences to Joe DeFalco, his son, Joey DeFalco, Joe's wife, Deborah, their family, and friends. And we will continue to keep you in our thoughts. You know, this happened very suddenly, and Joe and, and his family took off immediately the day we record the DeFalco Files show. So quickly we thought, why not release the very first DeFalco Files as a quick solution to have content ready and to allow some of our newer listeners to hear the very first episode of what made the DeFalco Files one of our top shows on our podcast. But on today's show, we will dig into some of the earlier episodes and get more thoughts from our very own Matt Michaels, who usually don't give too much of his thoughts during the episodes but rather listens to Joe and feature guests as they talk about the past, present, and future within future stars of wrestling. With that note, Matt Michaels, let's get started. We just attended Bound for Glory, and it was exciting to see Chris Bay back in Vegas, but working for Impact Wrestling, of course. Now, Joe DeFalco talks some about Chris Bay. Take a listen, and I'll get your thoughts. There was initially some people like, oh, Chris Bay, heavyweight champion. What's up? You know, he's only 160 pounds. Well, Chris Bay is one of the strongest pound for pound guys you'll ever meet. You know, I see him watching, you know, deadlifting wrestlers that are 210 and just dumping them over his head. You know, Chris is as strong as an ox. But what Chris is good at is. He, you know, he's got that natural charisma. It's kind of like we say about Willie Mack. You know, Willie ain't the best promo in the world, but he, there's something infectious about Willie Mack. You see Willie and you feel good. Yeah. You know, he comes out. He's always got that that happy, you know, excited appearance, you know, that he's happy to be where he's at, you know, and, and he loves what he's doing, you know, yep. and. And Chris is very much the same way. The passion that he has, like, you know, I've told the story. Chris came, you know, from Virginia with 500 bucks in his pocket. You know, he said, I talked to him a week or two earlier. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people. Don't don't remember, you know, we were talking the other day and he was talking about how when he called, how I was putting over Kevin at the time because Kevin was the man and, you know, he was looking at some big things, getting his WWE tryouts and stuff. And we convinced Chris who basically was in Virginia, no, no nowhere to train for wrestling, and decided to make the journey out to Vegas. Uh, he paid for three months of training, and I always joked that after the fact, it was always Chris was always nickel and diamond because he didn't want to work, he couldn't keep a job because he wasn't going to work on a Friday to give up wrestling. Like he was that true wrestling student that would rather be broke than not be able to be able to go to training today. Yeah. And, and, you know, he had, you know, his whole life, he, he, he had a struggle, but his goal and out of all the people, 
you got to be the most proud of Chris Bay because he threw all his eggs in the one basket. And that one basket was I'm going to be a professional wrestler despite the odds, despite the fact that I'm undersized, you know, the passion is there. And guys like Cross and guys like John Morrison and Taya, they, you know, all those people that he became friendly with on and on the SoCal scene. And then he became friends with the Rascals and all these guys, you know, Chris had 100 people going to bat for him, you know, for impact. Yeah. And, you know, plus they saw it. And now D'Lo was uh, our, our trainer. D'Lo Brown is now the talent relations guy. And he knows the talent that we got. And that was instrumental. And the most instrumental thing was. Uh, one of our close friends, Sanjay Dutt, who did tons of stuff with us in Impact and got us into that working relationship with Impact, was now an agent at WWE. They have a show in Vegas, and Chris Bay's backstage with 20 other guys. And Sanjay Dutt sees Chris Bay, and they need a guy for a match on 205. And who gets picked? Yep. Chris Bay. Because Sanjay Dutt went to wherever the powers that be that made the decision and said, that's the guy that you need to put on the show. And whether Sean Davari had anything to do with it, because he wrestled Davari's brother, but Sean, who lives out here and helps train sometimes, he also knows Chris Bay very well. So guess what happens? All of a sudden, Impact calls with the offer. And maybe they would have signed him next month, the month after, who knows? But the fact that he was on that TV let them know, it's like, you know what? We have this diamond in the rough. Let's lock him up before he goes because Chris is young. Chris is like 23 years old. And we were talking about the contract and stuff. And he was like, oh, it's three years. I'm like, dude, that's a long time. Especially when Cody Rhodes is putting over you as the only guy on the independent <laughs> circuit whose name he said, yeah, we're looking at a lot of people. And Chris Bay was the only name. And I'm like, man, you sure you made the right decision? He's like, Bro, there's a lot of people in AEW. I, I have a lot of friends there. But it's hard enough getting all those guys on TV. Where am I going? Yeah. Like on Impact, I'm going to go into a good position. And in three years, if things change, great. I'm still only 26. So, And at right now at Impact, he has the freedom. He takes independent bookings. You know, He worked FSW again. Uh, he's in the Mecca Grand Championship Finals. Uh, Kevin Cross came back to Vegas because – his attitude toward, you know, putting over the next level was not an issue for him for Chris Bay because Chris Bay was that other local homegrown guy and he wanted to give back and he ended up in a main event at the anniversary, put over Chris Bay to really pass the torch yeah. from, you know, local FSW heavyweight champion to local FSW heavyweight champion. Man, uh, that that was really cool to hear there, uh, uh, Matt. Let me ask you this though: What were your thoughts when you heard of Bay's story? Well, you know, the remarkable thing is that Chris Bay, uh, going back to when he was a kid, mm -hmm. saw himself uh, doing this as a career. And a lot of the people we talk to, you know, will say that as a child, um, they got this feeling at a certain point when they saw wrestling where they decided right then and there that they were going to do this as their career when they grew up. Mm -hmm. And with Chris, Chris took the chance on himself. He invested in himself 
to move across the country. Uh, he had called Joe uh, as, you know, Joe stated there that he gets phone calls from people all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Chris, after that phone call, made the decision. He was coming on out yeah. and he shows up. And the one factor that is very different than a lot of people, uh, you know, people will not struggle to pay their bills, you know, um, but they'll have roommates or mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll have uh, still be in their parents' house or, you know, have an established job uh, before they start their wrestling training. And Chris, you know, he came out here with, uh, you know, little to nothing and, um, you know, put in those days in terms of, um, you know, the the struggle of doing stuff like sleeping in your car and doing anything you could. Yeah. So that you can get into training and the the biggest factor here, and this is something that is so important, and that is Chris took it to the next level, meaning that if he had a job that he knew would conflict with his wrestling training, Chris would say bye-bye. He would, you know, he he would rather struggle with a place to live and, and eating yeah. Uh, rather than miss the uh, wrestling training. And yeah. this is what puts him uh, above uh, others, that determination. And it's it's very rare that you see that type of determination. Uh, people can be successful without it. Yeah. But yeah. there are certain people who just know that this is what they're born to do, and they will do everything to do it. Yeah. And um, do you think that so, you know, knowing this, knowing, you know, Bay's work ethic is this way. Do you think Joe kind of caters to those more who he sees lays as lays it all on the line, you know, to make it big instead of those that just half ass it? I think that catering is not necessarily the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea here is that a the trainers see what's going on in the ring every single day. Right. Yeah. So that is the main pipeline to Joe in terms of how guys are developing, who's ready, uh, who's ready to go uh, on a, uh, you know, a future shock show uh, so they can start getting in front of crowds. Who's ready to go on a high octane Mm -hmm. because they're they're at that point now where they need to start working guys, uh, you know, uh, that are a little more experienced. Um, and so really Joe kind of just sees the guys there. Yeah. And by that, I mean that if you're not there, if you're not going to classes, right. Yeah. Joe won't see you. So not only are you not going to get the positive feedback from the trainers, because you can't get feedback if you're not there. Right. If Joe doesn't see you around and he doesn't see you working hard, if he doesn't see you when you're asked to do ring crew and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he doesn't, you know, see you showing up for that. He, if, if you are on ring crew and Rocky, uh, you know, sees uh, that you're hanging back and really trying to do nothing while the other guys are busting their ass. Right. That is going to convey itself to Joe. And so it's those types of things that show that you're passionate because that's why you do this. Mm-hmm. You do this to, and you know, 
we we talk about this and and almost every entertainment professional that's putting in your dues right and it, it it has a negative connotation from the uh the old theory of putting in your dues means that you got to get your ass kicked before that you can go on and, and right. make it mm-hmm. and allow you know people allow you to take the spot no putting in your dues is knowing that hey the toilet is clogged grab a fucking plunger and plunge it out right yeah 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 you shouldn't have to be asked for that kind of stuff you mm-hmm. just do it you're proactive on your own yeah and that's the kind of stuff that gets back to joe so that joe knows then that you want it right yeah means that you want it and that's what puts you in position and i don't care if it's you know honestly if it's joe's school or any other school when you have the passion and desire to get it and make it, you got to go after it. Right. And that means treating the environment like it's your own house, mm-hmm. like it's a sacred temple and, you know, using everything that you're given to your advantage to make yourself better, but to show that you care enough yeah. to give back to the facility as well. Yeah. And that's what makes the difference between being someone who is just there taking classes or someone who wants it. And if you want it, you're going to do everything you can do again, like Chris did to get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Chris definitely was showing that he wanted outside of the ring and inside of the ring. But I wanted to I want to ask you this. You've seen Chris Bay performed before he got signed over to Impact. So you've seen quite a few matches over at Future Stars Wrestling. Did you happen to see the same thing like in Joe's eyes when you were looking at Chris going, wow, that is a future star. I see him on the promotion like he is now or, or, or another promotion. Well, I could tell you, you know, kind of a, a two, a two uh, way path here mm-hmm. uh, in my thought. Uh, the first is, um, Back in 2019, um, Chris was working a show that was put on at Future Stars Wrestling, but was, uh, I think that might have been a Mm -hmm. Raja.com show. And Chris worked uh, Luchasaurus. And if you know Lucha's size, Luchasaurus is a a big man. Yeah. And, And Chris is not very tall, right? Yeah. And so a lot of times that contrast in styles uh, can be very clanky. It's, it's sometimes hard to work with bigger guys. Right. But Chris, you know, Chris was able to work big, which means that size doesn't matter. It's the presence. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that he worked him so fluidly and fluently enough that Luchasaurus looked effortlessly on his end. So that's when two guys get together who you should never really, you know, in your mind, see yeah. like you'd think yeah, Luchasaurus would kill this guy, but you start believing the story that's being told. Right. And two wrestlers like that, that are very good. And, and start working together very well, even though they don't really know each other well. Right. Um, it, it just, it pays off. So you could see that kind of progress in his work yeah. as he was, you know, coming along. But the best thing is what he's doing now in Impact yeah. is comparable to a Shawn Michaels. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that it's not his ring style. It's not necessarily his body build per se, 
but he comes out with rock star confidence. Right. You know, Mm-hmm. You look at him and you go, that motherfucker is a star. I don't care, you know, if he comes out and, uh, you know, <laughs> just sits in a corner and, you know, there could be something going on, you know, in front of him. And if he's sitting on a corner, guess what? You're going to probably gravitate your eyes over to him because right. he demands the presence of attention. And, that's that's when you know that not only is he good in the ring, right, but he's also good in his presence. Yeah. And then the final part is Chris Bay has really, really learned how to talk. <laughs> and it's fun to watch some of those, you know, uh segments that Impact has when he's on and he's talking mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's not too far from Chris Bay. Right, yeah. That it's just him just a little amped up, but you, you could see a lot of times when he talks, he's kind of quiet, you know. Yeah. He doesn't do the over the top I'm a wrestler type shit. Right, yeah. He's smart about what he does. He conserves his energy and he uses utilizes it in such a way that you're interested in what he's saying. Right. And that's it's just when you have these things come together, that's when you're gold. So yeah, it, it's amazing to see that evolution um, because as Joe's mentioned on the show before, when Chris Bay started, Chris Bay was the guy who was going to come out and he was going to get his ass handed to him. Yeah. And yeah. boy, you know, you, you could get down about that. You can get mad about that, but Chris never did. He knew where he was headed. He knew what he wanted to do. And he just worked every single day to get there. And once he's there in his own mind, you know that it never occurred to him to go, I'm here. I'm done. Okay. Now I can go on to uh, cruise control. He's working every single day to better himself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you one more before we jump to a different episode. Uh, Joe said, in this clip here that Cody Rhodes said that Bay at the time was the hottest indie wrestler that was out there at the time, but Chris didn't want to get uh, uh, lost in the shuffle over at AEW. But when you look now, you know, would you, do you agree with Chris Bay's decision? Like for him, I mean, we just saw him made an impact. And as far as I'm concerned, it looks like he picked, you know, he made the right decision, but we also see where, AEW is in terms of the larger fans, the bigger venues, the bigger presence. Do you think he made a right decision? So we can really narrow this down to something that's very important here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is AEW. You look at it and like you said, bigger fans, bigger presence. Mm -hmm. However, the roster at AEW, which started out, in a certain shape and form mm-hmm. has transformed to something totally different. Mm-hmm. And outside of MJF, outside of arguably Darby Allen, um, Orange Cassidy, uh, you know, the, the, those are the top three that you would think about. Jungle Boy uh, would be another one you could throw in there. Um, possibly Luchasaurus uh, just from that tag team that they're in together. Sure. sure. Um, and, and Sammy Guevara and uh, Ricky Starks, um, you know, the, these guys 
um, had all uh, independent creed, right? They, they were guys who weren't necessarily uh, featured on a lot of, you know, prominent television. Yeah. Outside of that, you look and you go, they really are having trouble developing young guys. Yeah. So what happens then when you bring in guys who were WWE guys or uh, even, you know, guys from Impact or, or you know, Ring of Honor or New Japan, you start getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah. The brilliance of going with Impact happened on a couple uh, levels. One, you have to really give credit to a guy like D'Lo Brown, um, also uh, a guy like Sanjay Dutt and uh, Davari. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys all had some kind of association with Impact Wrestling uh, and an association with FSW in some form that guys have been able to get on the radar. And with uh, Bay, you know, you've got guys who know what you can do mm-hmm. and you have less of a must use star basis in impact wrestling meaning that if a guy like john moxley was in impact wrestling mm-hmm. then it's very hard to become the top guy right right so chris you could look at him and you could probably go yeah you know i don't know where he's gonna fit in I, you know the motherfucker is in Bullet Club now. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's how much he has been able to do that it's getting eyes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's because these guys believed in what a guy like Chris Bay could do. Um, Chris was also smart by signing initially a smaller uh, time frame contract. Mm. And as I understand mm. it, uh, he is now, I believe, under a five-year deal, which you could see that there is, if not a full-out plan, but an idea of what kind of um, what kind of star you can make him into that will potentially draw a larger base, and putting him in Bullet Club, having that honor. It's going to get him eyes from different places that are going to want to look at impact. Yeah. Um, I think one of the mistakes that uh, the AEW impact relationship has made is that they haven't taken guys like Chris Bay or, you know, Moose essentially as well over to AEW to appear on that show. Right. Yeah. You know, even, uh, you know, when ECW was working with WWE back in, uh, you know, 96, the the honest thing was that those guys are getting exposure on WWE television so that ECW would get exposure. It wasn't WWE necessarily putting their guys on their T on uh on ECW's TV um outside of Lawler and um you know maybe one or two other instances right. where the two companies kind of mixed uh you know uh, talent in in matches. So I think that that's the one thing AEW kind of dropped the ball on where you could have a guy like Chris Bay fucking showing up on your show. And now you have 
a credible person from impact being able to wrestle guys like Sammy Guevara. And, um, you know, it it just, it blows my mind how short-sighted that is, but Chris made a smart choice. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you're not locked into something for a long time, then you have the flexibility and the ability to kind of see where you feel you're going with that company. And if the company is definitely coming to you and wants you to wrap, you know, wrap you up for a little bit, man, if, if the offer is right and it makes sense to you and what they're telling you makes sense, then you got to jump at it. And, you know, looking at it now, it was a smart move. Um, he could easily got lost in AEW. And hell, if NXT offered him a contract, you know, he had that match on 205 Live. And, you know, that was here in Vegas. And yeah. Chris got a bigger pop than uh, Davari's uh, brother. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, you know, the, they could have been uh, all over him. And Cody was right to mention Chris as, you know, the top, unsigned guy out there at that time right and um you know it it just it worked out well and this is great to see because also chris gets to do other dates and can still wrestle here at fsw absolutely awesome man awesome awesome let me go to something else that i was just amazed listening to and now fsw event mecca is like their wrestlemania is usually in a bigger venue, uh, usually larger talent names. But in episode four, Joe talks about how both of those normalities was becoming a challenge. So let's listen to this. Uh, normally, we would just follow and get the Sundays at Sam's Town. And then when I'm like, hey, you got me on that Sunday? And they're like, no, there's a belly, da- uh, belly dancing <laughs> Uh, thing going on competition and i'm like what are you talking about and we were scrambling and scrambling and we were advertising a show without having any idea where it was going to be okay so we looked at different places and then finally we settled being that it was the boy gaming so we ended up doing the event at the cannery and the selling point again this there was major issues because not only was that an issue of where we were going to do it, Lucha Underground, who had taken almost a year off between tapings, decided that that weekend they were bringing people back for the season of Lucha Underground. Oh, man. So, Willie Mack, Sammy Callahan, Kevin Cross, they're, unel- they're ineligible. Willie Mack... They're unable to make that show. Right. Like, I'm looking at the poster, and you see guys, Shane Strickland, couldn't be there. Now, all of a sudden, holy shit, who do we use for the show? And that was the reach out to bring Teddy Hart in for the first time. And I had talked on Twitter a few times, and and Janela hit me up, and I'm like, bro, we don't really have a spot for you. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, bro, we got a spot for you. (laughs) And that was maybe a week before the show. And he was good to go. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to incorporate Chris Bay. And we're going to have him in a three-way with Kenny King and Scorpio Sky. Here's Bay's breakout moment to see 
how he handles wrestling in that situation. Yeah. And we have Teddy Hart wrestling Joey Janela, and Sammy Callahan can't be on the show. And it was like, as we scrambled for that, early in our days, uh, I worked with Raven when we were doing the Cauliflower Alley Club. And as crazy as Raven is, he was great for me to deal with. I, I enjoyed him immensely. So we went out and we had Tommy Dreamer. We ended up putting together a, a segment and it was uh, Ricker and Disco Inferno against Raven and Dreamer. And while not definitely the best match on the show, that match basically had more love than any other match on the show. Yeah. And, you know, despite the new breed of wrestling fan, that taught me something else again, because I'm looking for the super indie guys. And it's like, wow, there's certain people because we ended up having OVE wrestled the scum. Yeah. And uh, Rocky Romero and Liger teamed up against a whirlwind gentleman. Those guys were trained by Rocky Romero because they trained at the Inoki Dojo, the dojo where man. he was also involved, uh, Jushin Liger. So it was a coming out for them. So they got to be on the show. Um, Hammerstone proving himself extremely well. Moose had hit me up about numerous times about being booked. He was always a cool dude. So we booked Moose versus Hammerstone. Here's another Here's a guy where now Hammerstone's working a guy who's bigger than him. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see how he's gonna he's gonna handle that. And then I remember we had a, a seminar with Jushin Liger earlier in the night, and we had set up an opening match using the local guys at the time. Uh, we were gonna have Graves. We were having uh, Jarrell Nelson and Carl Fredericks in a three way, and the selling point of the seminar was Liger was going to pick a fourth guy after seeing you worked out in the seminar. Okay. That makes so, sense now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So after the after the seminar, Rocky comes up to me and he says, that guy. And who is it? It's Carl Fredericks. And it's like, well, Carl's already on the show. <laughs> and then Liger, who's known for liking goofy characters and big fan of Cheeseburger, the second choice he made was Spider Warrior. <laughs> so that's how Spider got to be in a Mecha match. Wow. And that was because uh, one of the biggest legends of all time, uh, Jushin Liger, uh, picked Spider. Wow. And, you know, we, and again, it was always like we had a hard time figuring out a main event because our main event guys, Cage and Callahan, you know, just think of it. Brian Cage, Callahan, Willie Mack, Kevin Cross, Shane Strickland, you know, and there's probably one or two others. There were six or seven guys, and Tom Lawler was also supposed to be on that show, and Tom Lawler broke his hand like two weeks earlier. Oh, wow. wow. And that ended up being the most profitable and the biggest gate we ever had, as well as the most expensive mecca we ever did. Because bringing in Liger from Japan, there was, you know, he worked a couple of random shows. So I think we did like a four way split on the flight, which still ended up being six or seven hundred because it was to Japan. He worked uh, San Francisco the night before ours, our show. Then he worked Chicago, had to get back to California to Japan. So it was probably $2,800 for the flight, but it was divided like four ways. And, and his cost, but I'll say about his cost, 
was by doing the seminar and the meet and greets where we did splits on that, we we almost got Jushin Liger for free, right. which is crazy. Man, that was a lot there. But let me ask you, how stressful do you think it was for Joe during this time to not know where the show will be and losing access to a lot of the big names? Well, I think the first thing we can say is Joe used to have a mullet. And now he, <laughs> the hair is long gone. So I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that the uh, stressful uh, nature of the business yeah. probably, you know. I, and by the way, Joe has also uh, been under the knife for heart uh, surgery a few times. So yeah, um, you know, it, it just goes to show that um, boy, when you're put in a position where you don't have the ability to have the guys you thought you were going to have because of the fact that the bigger pool out there is drawing them away um, and because of their contract commitments. Right. That's a problem with, you know, independent wrestling that you can't really control because of that factor. Um, you know, this talent, the talents are under contract and, um, and also, you know, with um, with the whole uh, situation with Lucha Underground, um, that was also something that was very odd and unique and strange, um, the way that that company operated, because they were a television company, uh, you know, a television show more so than a wrestling company. Right. And there was a lot of, you know, shit's not going on. And then all of a sudden we're back. And that's kind of how television tends to work a lot of times, yeah. especially mm -hmm. when it's not a, a series uh, like on, you know, ABC or NBC, a, a regular television series. So, uh, it, you know, it, you get put into these positions. And I think that with Joe's reputation that he's been able to build over the years, even when it was earlier on like that, where, you know, you need other guys to kind of come on in. Um, you, you listen to some of those names that he mentioned, and those names were still available. <laughs> right. Which is, yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, so it's got to be one of the most stressful things to um, have to look at what you're trying to do with story because Joe is very, uh, you know, focused on things making sense and a lot a lot of companies out there that are independents don't even focus on stories they right. focus on bringing in guys who will a are real big names that will then get people to come in um and and see that person or b guys who might have uh, fairly good names or reputations in other independent mm -hmm. companies who they could bring in and then lose to the guy they're trying to build up right right with joe it's it's story arcs and um, he will bring in guys, obviously. Um, and uh, especially in this situation where you have a big show and it, it kind of could have fallen apart. And if you do too many of those that do fall apart, then the fans are going to stop caring. Right. And that's it. He, he cares. So therefore the fans will care. And I think that's the biggest thing is he put together something that, you know, you can look at, and you can still go, Hey man, that was a good product. 
And a lot of this stuff you can see on the FSW network for six ninety nine a month. Sure. And uh, you know, check out some of these Mecca shows, which uh, you know, Mecca is just a phenomenal idea, especially because those shows typically ran on Sundays after you know Impact Wrestling uh, would be here on a Friday and Saturday. So you had the ability to use some of those talents in your Mecca. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what I found even most interesting, this out of everything that was so challenging during that particular show, the show ended up being one of the most profitable and yet one of the most expensive shows put together. What do you think Joe learned uh, from that experience, because that's sh- that was pr- that was earlier on, right? Uh, earlier Mecca, yeah. yeah. So, what do you think he's learned now that you've seen we've had many more of of these Meccas since then? I think um, one of the first factors is um, that that rule that money out is not necessarily less, or you know, it's it it can be greater than money in, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So you can easily, because you have to uh, do something like save the reputation, you're going to have to take a hit sometimes. And it's smarter to be able to make a card that people are going to enjoy seeing uh, rather than people being disappointed by the card they couldn't see. Right. And that's a huge thing that I think he learned. The second thing that he really and and he kind of hit it towards it and, and kind of said that uh, teams like the World Wind Gentlemen got their chance because of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think he learned that you bring in these guys and that's your marquee. This is your spectacle, but you're also developing throughout the year your own homegrown talent. That if they were to go in the ring, when Chris Bay went in the ring against Teddy Hart and John Morrison for a match, uh, you know, that's the thing. It's like you have two outside guys, but you have a homegrown guy. Right. And I think that that got stronger uh, through the years to where the, the top guys here can compete and hang with the top guys from around the country. And that's what makes it successful. So and and so in in many ways also, uh, it seemed like this was a moment for a lot of these these guys to shine, like Bay, uh, Hammerstone, or or, or maybe Janella, because I know he said he had had a conversation told Janella first. I don't have nothing on the card. Then he calls him and say, "Hey man, <laughs> you're back on the card." But look what it it did to these guys here. I guess they really get to shine at those particular moments, especially we don't have the very big names to you know, at your event. Well, let's put it this way. And, and I'll, I'll just go simple off of what Joe said there. Yeah. Hammerstone. I'm glad you said Hammerstone because Hammerstone is not only the current FSW champion yeah. Um, yes. and, and, you know, and one of the most decorated FSW heavyweight champions in the history of the company, but he is now the MLW heavyweight champion. And he won that belt just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Moose. Mm-hmm. Moose is now the Impact Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. You had a card, uh, you know, a number of years ago mm-hmm. that had these two guys who were just getting over that hill of, you know, being green enough mm-hmm. to where they're still kind of, you know, rough on the edges to where they're starting to get confidence in their abilities. 
And essentially, you had a match that was the MLW champion versus the Impact champion. Yeah. So that is the thing that you see. You see the opportunities um, for these guys to grow. And that's one of the reasons that every single young kid who is in FSW, man, I know, you know, Joe hears it all the time about why I should be in this match. Why I should be on this (laughs) card. You know, I'm so good, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you right now, the honest answer is, boy, if you have your confidence, but not that ego right right if you have confidence in your ability and you keep going out there and you show that you're doing well and you you present it in a manner of you know joe if there's any opportunities on the mecca i really would love to get a shot to wrestle on a mecca you're probably going to at least get his ear yeah because you're showing again that you're developing you're doing the right things you're, you're doing everything that's asked of you and at that point, um, you know, it means that you could potentially get a match that, because it's so big, a lot more eyes of fans who are not just FSW fans, but fans who might have been in for the weekend because of Impact Wrestling or ROH, yeah. you know, so that was the, the true factor for these cards is that the opportunity is, is always there. And man, you you go back and you look at not just Mecca, but some of the other you know cards. Um, not many companies out there that are independent companies can say that Matt Hardy was their heavyweight champion. Right, true that. So you know, and if you think that's the outside guy, right? Yeah. But then you think Eli Drake or L.A. Knight or Sean Ricker. <laughs> Yes, he's been referred to all the episodes. You know, uh, you're going to hear one of those names for him. Right. Um, You know, him, Ryan Cage, Hammerstone. um, You you look at these names, Bay. um, These are guys who were heavyweight champion who, you know, were FSW guys that, that Joe put the time and effort into because he saw things in them. And, uh, you know, Kevin Cross is one of the best examples of a guy who, when he got it, boy, he could get pretty much any match that he wanted on a Mecca because, you know, that is something that fans want to see. They want to see Kevin Cross wrestle the guy, you know, who's supposed to be great from New York or, you know, is from impact wrestling or from this, this company. So it's a very, very smart thing. um, Not only because you're giving good exposure for your own company, but because you're giving those younger guys exposure. And the best factor in this is that those guys deliver. Correct. Correct. Good stuff, man. All right, let me ask you. In episode 10, FX, uh, FSW uh, recognition appears to be growing nationwide, but especially in the Southwest, or, or I should just, just say West Coast. So take a listen to this, man. I have a few questions for you. The, the most proudest thing about FSW is the fact that if you go to Arizona Wrestling Federation, it's really future stars of wrestling Arizona. Yeah. It's like two thirds of the roster 
is just from our promotion. Mike Rain at Best of the West uses a ton of FSW guys. If you are trained at FSW and you say FSW, your foot is a lot easier to get in the door. Yeah. Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, Championship Wrestling from Arizona, you know, Devotion, Manny Lemons runs in Utah. You know, Sefa was their first champ. It's like so many of our guys are the top guys at all these other wrestling companies throughout the Southwest, the West Coast. And that's the, the best thing for me is seeing that the guys that we nourished and we put under our wing that have worked hard are basically able to go out there and live their dream. And sometimes it's a little lower level, but then there's the guys like Cross and, and Chris who are now, you know, top guys in two of the major companies in the United States. All right. So here's my quick, here's my, here's my question for you. Do you think Joe believes his company is one of the top indie promotions in the West coast? And if so, why? And if you think not, why not? Okay. So if Joe didn't believe it, then he'd be, <laughs> he'd be out of business right now, man. Um, you don't, you don't put that time effort. But there's a um, lot of, there's a lot of promotions out here though man i mean if you i mean not to say he she shouldn't think that but you kind of when you go and you think of all these all the others in in arizona and you know what you have down in socal uh, i'm saying me i'll be a little i don't know if i'm the best anymore when i see this oh oh no 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 um you you got to take into consideration this mm -hmm. joe sees himself as um as a competitive uh, company that could potentially start going out and um, hooking up with other companies uh, like GCW does. Mm -hmm. um, I think that GCW's model is something that Joe really is intrigued by because damn, they have a great following. That's true. And, you know, they're able to, um, you know, right now you got guys like Moxley as their heavyweight champion. You got the Briscoes as their tag team champions. And you have uh, Nick Gage, who is just a cult fucking figure in wrestling that everyone knows and loves. You got Effie, who is also another one of these guys that is just breaking down the barriers and really just saying fuck you to, you know, the typical thought of, of you know, business as is. So I think in that sense, I think Joe sees the company as being that type of uh, a presence. Um, and I'll tell you, you, you say, here's the thing, Arizona. Arizona is in one of those um, shaky kind of grounds of really a lot of the guys that come from here to you know from from the fsw school mm -hmm. to arizona that is a lot of the pipeline to kind of fill in some of those cards there um and also um guys like hammerstone and graves uh you know these guys from arizona are really considered homegrown guys here mm. so when joe talks about the idea of fsw arizona it's actually, you know, and, and they did do a little thing of that for a small sure. portion of time. It talks about on some of the episodes, but 
But the idea really would be that FSW boosts up Arizona's um, profile then, right? Got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in, yeah. in Southern California, you can argue, well, you know, there there is a lot going on down there. San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is is pretty is pretty hot, and they got some uh, good companies down there. Yep. And then, um, you know, the the two keys here are Santino Brothers yep. and Knox Pro. And when you look at Knox Pro, um, that's where Kishi School. And coming out of that school, you know, there's been some really good talent, including Toka Uso, where you have Juicy and you have Toa. And um, they're becoming FSW regulars here. Um, and, you know, the same thing, Santino Brothers. Oh, and by the way, I, Knox Pro, of course, Rikishi's, uh, you know, kid. <laughs> he got Steffa. Right. You know, Sefa <clears throat> went from, you know, you know, being around Knox Pro to coming out here or, or being out here, uh, you know, to continue his development because that's where he was living. And um, look, you know, look where he is now, you know, NXT, right? He's about to make his the debut uh, i don't know if it was even tonight on halloween havoc uh which you know i don't remember if it was tonight or next week but yeah you're about to see him him debut so that you know they got talent and, and then santino brothers eli Everflies is here on a regular basis and and you got matt vandergriff who moved here you know yeah. um so it's it, it is something that I think that you see that because there are very good schools where you can train and they put on good shows that you're seeing now, a lot of the parts start to interchange because the opportunity is there for these guys to go on swings for, you know, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays, which is phenomenal. You know, this is, this is what you need to get the experience. And it's, it's, it's brilliant, man. It's I mean, really. I mean, do you feel Joe's FSW is at a level where people want to train to become, you know, when they be, want to train to become wrestler, that they they consider his promotion first? Do you think it's at that level now, or um, or or maybe I don't know. I don't know what would be the what would be the the conditions on which they would want to go elsewhere. But it seems like people will maybe want to try FSW first. You think? Well, it comes down to proximity. All right. So the honest answer I mean, is you, we that, talked about Bay was all the way in Virginia. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, no. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's why I say you yeah. talk about, you know, when you see yourself in a position and, you know, Bay heard about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and listen, Jordan, Jordan Oasis, mm-hmm. who I am very high on, and I've, I've been very high on him since I, I started seeing him. Um, he's got a look, he's got raw talent, you know, he's not only, you know, did he move down here to go to FSW, but he'll also travel over to LA and go to Knox pro. Mm. So, you know, these guys are getting fucking smarter. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you're, if, for instance, if you're in, uh, the Pennsylvania or Ohio area, you know, you can look at, uh, you know, some of the uh, training out there, um, you know, with, with guys like Sammy Callahan and, and that group. And you got OVW, um, you know, which uh, 
is a great opportunity for guys who are close in that area, but also for, you know, we're, we're seeing some of our guys from Vegas go to OVW and get little uh, runs on TV and get a little more knowledge from listening to Al Snow and, and the trainers they got there. So I think that that's the key here too, is that, that, that idea of mm-hmm. I can go and, and get my foundation and the better I get is not just based on, one school it's going to other places to either sit in on sessions for their school or wrestle in rings with guys who are trained at these other schools and have feedback from some of the you know the trainers and the 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 owners who see their work in those companies yeah so i think more it's getting more of almost a a a country feeling a country-wide feeling to it sure where you know, it, it used to, man, it used to be one of those things where um, if you lived in Chicago, you trained in Chicago. If you lived in New York, you trained either in New York, New Jersey or, or, or uh, Pennsylvania. Right. You know, um, if you lived in Florida, you, you trained in Florida uh, or Atlanta uh, and Texas. Uh, you know, that's a whole beast by itself. <laughs> right. Um, so there, there's a lot more also opportunities in schools, but there are only a small portion of schools that give training like FSW does. And I think that that's the key. You can put, you can basically, if you're a young wrestler now, because of the internet, you can go on all these websites and you can narrow it down to five schools. If you have your choice to go anywhere, you can narrow it down to five schools. And quite frankly, I think between Knox pro and Santino brothers and FSW, you have three of the best options um, that you could have on the West Coast, not to mention Don Vitelli and what they're doing at Arizona in, the, in their training school. Right. Um, this, you know, you're seeing some of the guys like class coming out of there. Holy shit, man. The talent is getting more competitive uh, and, and, and opportunities a lot quicker because that's the other key guys like Don Vitelli is is training you know this Mm -hmm. is this a guy who has a a great long history um who can really put knowledge and the other guys training you know like gallo it's the same thing these guys are training these guys yeah and and you get to work with guys like graves and hammerstone and it's like holy shit same thing at fsw man you can't go wrong when you got sin bodhi yeah you can't go wrong when you got remy you got cody cutthroat cody um and then you you know you've got guys like delo and uh kenny king (laughs) man it's just there's so much um opportunity and by the way that's one thing that makes fsw a little different is that each of those guys have different ways of looking at certain things in wrestling and different strengths that they bring as well so you're not just learning from one guy or two guys right you're learning from like you're in college and you have five or six different professors who all are accredited in the field that you're trying to develop yourself and your talent in. So it's, it's spectacular. It's a spectacular feeling to know that FSW can compete with any company in this country, whether it's in the ring and putting on shows or in the school and giving the wrestlers the basis for everything they need to know to become 
professional wrestlers. Now, how long have uh, Joe been in business? Is it close to 15 12 years? years? 12, 12 years. 12, oh, now, man, I mean, to me, that seems like that's a pretty short amount of time uh, to be known for having one of the best places to train. I mean, how, how do you think Joe was able to, to pull this off? I think you mentioned some of them by having good trainers, D'Lo, Kenny King, Simbodi. But, I mean, how was he able to pull? I mean, 12 years doesn't seem like – it seemed like it's short amount of time to, to become the place that has become now. I think you got to take into consideration a couple factors. The first factor is that when Joe started, he didn't have a school. And – a lot of it hinged off of uh, what legacy and those guys were doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just kind of morphed into, well, legacy needs a ring. We've got a ring, but we don't have students and he has students, that type of feel. Mm -hmm. So it kind of grew out of this. And, and I hope I am, I am saying the right thing and saying legacy um, from what I remember, but you could actually find out by listening to the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I encourage you all to, if I am wrong, find out I'm wrong by listening to the show. Right. Um, but that, you know, that kind of developed into, you know, the first onset of the school. And um, then you had Sin and, and Jake Roberts in on the um, snake pit. And, as that kind of bonded into FSW, you basically now had this wonderful mix of, you know, all this young talent that wanted to learn from these guys. And the biggest thing that Joe brought to the table is a ring and a facility you can do it in. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, a lot of times, um, guys are trying to fleece you for the money. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and especially if we go back, you know, 12 years ago, um, it, it, there's a, there was a lot of guys who ran their companies in the sense of, Hey, give me $500 a month and I want to make you a star kid. And you'd put your money in and basically, you know, you wouldn't know anything more than how to run ropes mm -hmm. for the first three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mainly because that's how you make 1500 easy bucks if you own a wrestling promotion. Mm. And it's fucked up. And it's always been a fucked up way of doing things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, Joe was lucky enough to have guys who realized that we all had experiences back then knowing guys who were doing that or guys who got caught up into the scheme and they weren't going to allow it as simple as that. They were not going to allow it to happen to guys. Yeah. And I think that that was the, you know, how you luck out into um, establishing yourself and your reputation of the school. And it doesn't hurt that after a few years, you got to remember one, one simple thing, one simple thing. Joe was smart enough to see talent in guys like the Reno scum mm -hmm. and guys mm -hmm. like Eli Drake, LA Knights, Sean Ricker. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be a great three man tag right there? <laughs> right. I, bet you, I bet you Sean Ricker would say, yeah, it would be the best because it would be three of me. <laughs> right. Uh, 
And he probably would be fucking right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Brian Cage and those kind of guys. By bringing those guys in, you're giving them development in terms of in-ring because you see that they have something there. And they've already been essentially trained. Right. So now right. what you're doing is when people are seeing the FSW product, more eyes are coming to it because they're seeing those guys. And then you hear there's a school attached to it. And now you're starting to go, wow, that'd be kind of a cool place to train. And so Joe did that very smart by having those guys. Your first show you ever do, you have in a group like a team like the Young Bucks, man. Mm -hmm. And the Young Bucks, even though they weren't necessarily huge national stars, um, they had a huge reputation on the West Coast. And, um, you know, I think at that time they might have even had their their small TNA run right around, you know, that that time frame. So, yeah, it draws attention by having a Kenny King, Kenny King. Not only do you get him as as a trainer, as someone who really man, if you want to define FSW, Kenny King is a great example. But Kenny King had that just that bit of established name enough to catch people's attention to realize hey you know what what's going on there is not a fucking joke they're not just trying to make money also i'll tell you i don't know how many times joe has said it on the show yeah but if you talk about one guy who has no problem if you are dedicated you are working your ass off and that means that you're missing out on day jobs and, and paychecks and you're having a little harder time to pay the dues that joe is asking joe makes exceptions you know and and for anyone and he'll say this too people will say ah joe you know he doesn't want to pay blah 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 but you got to think of that trade-off if you are a guy on a level where you might get 20 bucks for a match but you're also getting an extra 25 off from your dues that's 45 dollars in your pocket <laughs> right yeah and people forget that because it's not you're not seeing a physical thing handed over to you you're just not handing that money over to joe and the school right so that's a very important thing and as you climb the ladder you know those dues will go down and in turn they go down because now joe's able to pay you maybe a little bit more and as you get better and the company gets more profitable you get a better gate and the bigger the gate the easier it is to then say it is some of this talent that we train that is pulling in those people so therefore yeah we can give them a little bit more mm. or you know we can take things off dues so it's a give or take and i know people are you know going to look at me sometimes and go ah you're just bullshitting you know going along with joe's what joe's saying etc yeah. etc and the thing is is that i've been there <laughs> i've paid dues right yeah, literally yeah. paid my dues sure and and the honest answer is that you know that's something that you know i saw is how that establishing of talent brings more people in and you're able to then charge the people who are growing in your program less because there are more students who are coming in, even if they come in for six weeks or for four months or for a year, you're getting that extra, um, 
money coming in at full price of what you're charging for the school. And also out here, you get a rounded experience. That's the other thing. And that's how you make your reputation. Because not only are you going to learn about what to do in the ring, and not only are you going to learn about promos and character, you're also going to see how the fuck television is is done. You're going right. to learn television. So yeah. it's, it's a big thing that is really comparable to you know going to a university for wrestling. And, you know, it's, it's a wrestling university. So yeah, it's, that's how you make your name and, you know, kudos that they've been able to take something that was non-existent when it started and have one of the best fucking training facilities in the country. Absolutely, man. Let me, I'm going to play one more clip and, um, Joe talks about in episode 11, how natural born killers came about and he also talks about the huge ending from this show so take a listen to this folks it's a little long but i have some questions to ask about this segment kevin cross was very big in the mma you know that's where he got his start he was doing a lot of that before he got into wrestling training and once he started wrestling you know he had an idea for like some kind of pan craze kind of show, something similar to that. But we weren't really ready to pull it off. Uh, then Bloodsport came out, I guess Matt Riddle, and they did a, a WrestleMania weekend. GCW produced right, it. Right. And they brought in some big name guys, and they did it on WrestleMania weekend. And, of course, it was successful because there's 100 shows WrestleMania weekend and everything's successful. So I had an idea. I said, hey, Kevin, UFC does their WrestleMania UFC fight week in Las Vegas. I said, hey, how cool would it be if we had a show? Uh, one of the guys who became a partner in it, Aaron uh, Porter, or Poitier, I don't know, he's from Louisiana, they have weird names. <laughs> and I said, I, you know, like Bloodsport, I wanted to have an idea of, like, what would be a really cool name moving forward. And we, we had thrown about a couple of names, and nothing, nothing was very good. You know, trying to just come up with something, hey, what, what's another John claude Van Damme movie we could <laughs> use the name for? And then... Uh, Aaron sent me the poster of Natural Born Killers with Woody Harrelson on there. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's like Kevin Cross, the bald head, the jacket. We, you know, Joey made the poster. And we're like, hey, fight week. We need to bring in some MMA guys. And at the time, Stefan Bonner was already training with us. Yeah. And Stefan Bonner's credited with, you know, taking UFC to the next level when him and Forrest Griffin fought in the ultimate fighter. So we have now Stefan Bonner as part of the show. And of course we have cross as part of the show. So now we're trying to work, you know, who we're going to bring in. Uh, Simon Gotch was a guy that we talked to a lot on Twitter and he kind of ran that gimmick of a shoot fighter gimmick 
yeah. in MLW, the Vaudevillians. So he was a guy that we added to the added to it. Uh, but the big coup was getting Frank Mir. Yeah. And at that point, Frank had decided that he wanted to get involved in professional wrestling. And Austin Aries, he had brought him down once or twice to train at the FSW school. So there was a uh, show at the Rio. They ran some MMA stuff that Vampiro was pretty much in charge of. So they hired Joey to do the photography, which was great. He got paid one out of the four shows, and they still owe him a good amount of money. But Frank Muir was the, uh, the announcer for the event. So when I saw him, I'm like, hey, Frank, I got this idea. You know, any chance I can get your number, blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, yeah, definitely be interested. You know, at that point, we were talking about him announcing, maybe, you know, because he was a commentator, loved to have him fight. But this is Frank Mir yeah. about working, you know, a MMA, MMA style wrestling event. So I gave him a call. He was interested, but he was being represented by Aries. Aries kind of handled his wrestling stuff. <laughs> so we were able to work out a deal to where Aries would accompany Frank Mir to the ring. And part of the deal was uh, when Kevin and Bay worked at the anniversary show, uh, Aries and Frank Mir would come out and basically set up the Natural Born Killers events. And it was like, they came out, holy shit, Aries hadn't been seen in a while. Frank Mir's this big fucking dude. Like, <laughs> holy shit, that's Frank Mir. And now all of a sudden it's like, wow, this card is really, really shaping up. Then we got Tom Lawler, who was a UFC fighter, trained with us after he was first uh, leaving the UFC, wrestled a couple of shows, and blew up big time. Yeah. So here's a guy who's a two-sport superstar. Dave Mazzani, who wrestles for us, another guy. He works at Couture Gym. Uh, Randy Couture's son, we were trying to get Randy, but in turn we got Ryan Couture. Yep. So now this show is loaded with MMA guys, and then I reached out and finally, like, 10 days before the show, because we knew he was going to be out here because they had the UFC Hall of Fame, we secured Dan Severn for the show. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, this fucking show is stacked. And we wanted this show to be this small, dingy, old school type of show and felt Samstown was way too big. So we decided we were going to run at the FSW Arena. And we took out the guardrails. And anybody who's been there know it's a tight fit to get about 180 to 200 people. We're kind of squeezing people in. So what we did was we removed the guardrails. Uh, we put two rows of seats on both sides by the walls where there was generally only one. And then we added as many seats as we could in the back. We added another row uh, in front of the bleachers. And we somehow probably squeezed in 270, 280 for a sold-out event. Yeah. That the main event at this point is Dan Severin against Kev Kill Killer Cross at the time. And 
a few weeks before the show, Cross was like, oh, Severin's great, but I'm working on something. And then he comes up to me and he says, bro, I got a guy for Natural Born Killers, but I can't tell you who it is. And it's a great story because I've told it a few times. And I'm thinking, man, it's UFC Fight Weekend, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. Those are guys that are around. Tito loves wrestling. Holy shit, man. Tito Ortiz and Kevin Cross. Man, this would be fucking great. And then all of a sudden, like a week or two before the show, all of a sudden Cross walks in with Disco Inferno and he introduces me. To Kane Velasquez. <laughs> and Kane is about to do some stuff with AAA. And we're like, oh shit, it might be Kane Velasquez. <laughs> we have no idea. Now it's the day of the show. And I told the story on one podcast, and I kind of didn't promote it because I said the amount, so I probably shouldn't say the amount. <laughs> so Kevin Cross says, believe me, it wasn't that much. So Kevin says, hey, bro, I got the guy. I need you to put X amount of dollars away. And let me just say right now, it isn't even four figures, okay? <laughs> he said, you're going to wish you gave him four figures, which is $1,000. So I'll let you know it was less than 1000 Yeah. okay? So now it's like, shit, who is it? Oh, I can't tell you. And I'm like, what the fuck? He can't tell me who it is? Like, is it going to be some jobber UFC guy that nobody cares about? So it is now show day. We're ready to roll. Dan Severin's in the house. He's setting up the merch area. He's got his own guy trying to sell some shirts. And I'm in the production office. We're probably 20 minutes, 15 minutes away from the doors opening. And my son Joey walks in. I swear to God, literally with tears in his eyes. And he says to me, and I quote, Did you see who it is? Almost like teary eyed. And I'm like, Is it Tito? Chuck Liddell? He's like, No, it's Moxley. And I'm like, Get the fuck out of here. I walk to the back and it's like, holy shit, it's John Moxley and Renee Young. And then Kevin walks over. I walk over there. He introduces me. Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, thanks for doing this. You know, it's like, holy shit. So we have a sold out event and nobody in the world knows that John Moxley's there. So, or Dean Ambrose at the time, I think he was more. Or let's go and buy. You know, we have the match. Kevin gets dismantles Severin with a high kick to the side of the head. And it was like, wow, that was kind of quick. You know, Severin cuts a promo. You know, he puts over Cross Strong. And Kevin's about to start talking. And then the music hits. A couple people made some noise. But nobody really knew. And then all of a sudden, he stood back to the ring, you know, thing. And you, it was like a wave. Yep. Like, you know, when people do the wave, it was a wave of, like, every single person in the house, like, holy shit, it's fucking Dean Ambrose in the FSW arena. Which, it was crazy, because, like, two weeks earlier was the anniversary show, and people were like, 
holy shit, I can't believe Frank Mir and Austin Aries. What a great FSW moment. And the anniversary, we literally sold out and had almost a thousand people there. And literally two weeks later, we now had the new greatest moment in FSW history. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Like the Twitter went crazy. You know, YouTube, you know, we had half a million views in a couple of days. And it was just like Moxley cut the promo afterwards. And boy, you know, what a moment that was. And it really solidified Natural Born Killers as an event that I believe was as good or better than Bloodsport. All right. Whew. All right there, uh, Matt Michaels. This is my first question. How in the hell did Moxley work for such a low payment? I mean, is it for the love of the sport, his respect for Cross, or maybe he's trying to give back to sort of the indie promotions? I mean, what's your take? Because Joe hadn't even met Moxley yet. And like he said, this is four figures. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, you know, what's what's most impressive is that um, it's not even that Joe didn't, hadn't, hadn't met Moxley. Mm-hmm. It's that Joe didn't even know until like right around showtime that that was happening yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Kevin was behind it. Now, I don't know John and Kevin's relationship outside of, um, you know, I, I, outside of them working that match right right so i don't know how well they knew each other um but you know kevin living here and and john living here good possibility that you know they had some nights uh together where they hung out and stuff so um and i think joe would say the same thing that you know he wasn't too sure about the relationship um but what's interesting, and I think this is the perspective of John Moxley, and, and we see it now that he's holding the GCW championship. Um, and this is one of the reasons he did not want to resign with the WWE. John started as a essentially a backyard hardcore wrestler. Mm-hmm. And for him, the more brutal and real the style of wrestling, um, that's why John loves japan right he he loves strong style and and that also that hardcore essence in japan one of those things that we can easily say is that john moxley is wonderfully honestly just a little bit insane because of the fact that he likes doing this to his body right (laughs) yeah He, he likes doing and i i really think it was just opportunity met the timing because of the fact that John just happened to be in town. The show just happened to be on a night. John Moxley's contract had just run out in the WWE. Mm, okay. And so therefore, yeah. um, you know, he, he was, he was freshly off that contract and, you know, basically just about ready to debut for AEW. So, um, I think you know there there were probably a lot of those types of factors, and honestly, I think John Moxley is a guy who loves doing this so much that you know if John, if John Moxley wanted to go, hey, just buy me a cheeseburger and a beer, 
<laughs> he'd fucking work for it because yeah you know he just loves going out and that feeling of the the crowd and the pumpness and probably you know wanting to work cross especially in a shoot style match unbelievable right it is and uh, you know so i'm i'm just curious okay so we know that that moxley lives or has a home in the vegas area um are you are you just not surprised though that there hadn't been um more of a connection between him and joe you know coming around the fsw in some way capacity or something because that was my first time i've ever even heard of him being in the fsw arena and it just it just seemed like for you to be in that same industry is you know what's your take uh, very simple, and this will be the shortest answer I give this whole time. <laughs> okay. um, John was under contract to the WWE um, for most of the time. Okay. So um, the honest answer is that when you're under contract to uh, Vince's company, you're not working other shows unless um, you know Vince has some kind of stake in that company. So it's as yeah. yeah, as simple as that. Um. I remember when Natural Born Killers, I didn't go to the show, but I remember when it happened because social media was blowing up crazy hearing that Moxley showed up uh, to, to fight Cross. Um, do you think it was moments like that that helped put FSW uh, over as an indie place to not only train, but even for fans to even want to go and attend and watch the shows? Um, yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, you know, that that's where you get um, your hype. Uh, if you have something like that happen, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, um, I think that the term the oh shit moment for wrestling fans ah, is mm-hmm. something that is very, very, um, it, it draws people in because we got to remember and we're seeing it right now. This talk about the forbidden door being kicked open, okay? Yeah. The the truth of the matter is that wrestling fans have become so accustomed to the idea of you have the big bad wolf and then you have the three little pigs, right? (laughs) And they want to see the big bad wolf lose to the three little pigs. Now, the, the pig who builds the straw house, you know, is, is not going to, uh, you know, not going to make it on his own. <laughs> right. And he'll run over to the guy who has the uh, the hay, you know, house. And um, those two together are still not going to make it alone. Right. And it takes all three of them to have a brick house to finally defeat the big bad wolf. So that's what you're seeing happening. And I think in some ways that when things like this happen, it just sends a frenzy amongst fans. A lot, a lot of this had to do with the fact that nobody knew that <laughs> Cross had pulled this off. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, and, and it was MMA weekend. You know, there there was right. you know, all this MMA stuff going on. So a lot of the thought, even in, in Joe's mind and, and kind of talk around the office was the fact that it was probably a, a known MMA guy that, you know, that Cross was able to get. Right. Never in the wildest dreams did anyone fucking figure that it was going to be Moxley. 
And so that buzz made it even more real yeah. because there wasn't a single motherfucker in that crowd <laughs> who ever expected to see John Moxley walk through the curtain, except for a couple of us who, you know, again, we, <laughs> I know you hate this about me, DJ, but the one thing that you can say is that I don't, I don't give shit away because I'm told, and the code is that if I'm told something by one of the guys, I'm not telling anyone else. Right. Um, right. So that when it happens um, in this case, um, it's, it fucking works as it's intended to. Right. And boy, right. did that work, man, that yeah. worked. And, and, and by the way, you could tell if you go back and you watch that match, get get the uh, get the network. Um, believe it's on the network. You yep. can watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, man, you go back and you watch that. Uh, the the coolest thing is you could tell the Moxley and and Kevin are having a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you know. So and, and on top of that, <laughs> Kevin Cross is also a genius because. The actual match he had was with Dan the Beast Severin, who was in town for the MMA thing. So that was amazing, too, that Kevin Cross got to wrestle a fucking MMA legend and Sean Moxley within a 20-minute stretch. Yeah. Just mind-blowing, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. I, I I remember I remember that exactly when that ha- that happened, man. It was it was amazing. Um let me ask you this question, man. Uh, Joe talked about wanting to do the show at the FSW Arena instead of Samstown. And he mentioned at the time that the seating was about maybe 120 to 160, that maybe even t- up to 200 that can fit. But they got about 280 people in this sold-out event. Now, I got to ask you, man, do you think Joe should have maybe considered a bigger venue like Samstown, being how well the card was stacked. It was a stacked card even before we got the surprise of that. I mean, when you think about it, you think he, he maybe should have went Samstown? Um, no, 100%. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm 100% behind the FSW arena. Mm-hmm. And for one simple reason, if you present it in Samstown, you're talking a long rampway, you're talking your Titantron type stuff, your right. whistles, and your bells. Yeah. Um, the idea of Natural Born Killers, as as Kevin uh, came up with it, was conceived as uh, essentially what Josh Burnett was doing with Bloodsport. Um, but mm-hmm. in in Kevin's you know idea in in his mind of what it should be mixing, um, you know, the MMA style, which Kevin was trained in with the pro wrestling style and i think that the guys that they got for that card the you know from from you know the women uh the women's match with gina Mazzani and uh uh kyra uh uh god i can't ever remember her last name but Patan, i believe um mm-hmm. uh, you know th- that match was f- fabulous those those two women really just brought it um the other matches on that show were just solid matches and one of the reasons it it felt different and exciting was because you know when you when you see a movie and uh they tend to go down 
to Mexico or some dingy place that has like cockfighting going on. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's just, you see this massive crowd around this small little circle right? Yeah, yeah. where, yeah. you know, things are, are happening. This fight is happening. So that's what it felt like by putting all those bodies in there. And man, I'll tell you, it was, it was hot. <laughs> it was a hot night, man. Yeah. Um, for, for it being cool out, it was hot. It was on fire in that arena. And one of the reasons it was so hot is because the fans were in it the whole fucking time. Right. And also what you would have done if you would have, this was a later, a, a later start essentially to the show. You know, it wasn't, I don't think it was a typical um, seven o'clock start. I think it was a late, a little later start. Um, and what you would have been dealing with at, Samstown is you would have basically, I think, had a lot of fans showing up who were expecting uh, like an FSW style show or an impact style show or, yeah. you know, a wrestling show in the sense of what, you know, you see on TV or you usually see in the Indies, where at the same time, the crowd was a little bit of those wrestling fans and FSW fans who knew about it, who were at that arena, but there was a huge contingency of MMA fans who were in town. Right. So you got a lot of eyes who had never seen an FSW show before who specifically wanted to see that kind of grapple style going on. And, um, you know, the same thing happened with GCW. Um, you know, with GCW guys wrestling in the arena against FSW guys, um, you see that there's this contingency that you have not seen before mm -hmm. because they're supporting that company and you have the FSW fans supporting their company. And boy, it becomes nothing but a fucking wonderful mixture of the, the chance for fans to interact with each other yeah not in a negative way right but in a fun you know yeah. your guy yeah. sucks our guy's better blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah and boy you know and that's what made this so special is that it was people who were just hungry to see you know these guys beat the fuck out of each other right and these guys did such a good job such yeah. a good job man Man, man, this has been awesome, uh, Matt Michaels. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me and answering some of the questions I had as best as you could, being that you chat with Joe Weekly. Uh, you know, just think, man, this is the start of the DeFalco Files. We haven't even scratched the, surf the surface in terms of so many great moments of this series. So we ask all of you to go back and listen to the episodes that you might have missed because they are timeless. You get to hear how decisions are made and how things we love call wrestling is put together. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of putting together, um, like you mentioned, Joe's mom did pass away yeah. um, in, in an honest and unexpected manner um, that, you know, was, it, it hit home for um, a lot of the, um, the people who uh, have worked uh, with Joe over the years. Um, and um, I can tell you right now that um, 
what you're about to hear is um, something that comes straight from the heart. Um, I, I was kind of on a, on a deadline because of the fact that we have to put this out. So, um, you know, people didn't necessarily uh, get back to me, you know, uh, in enough time um, to include into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that doesn't mean that those people, uh, you know, don't care. It just means that just timing was off. Um, sure. And and just from reaching out to people and just, you know, uh, hearing, uh, you know, their thoughts and, and you know, it, it, there's so much love right now uh, for everyone um, who is in Joe's family. Um, and, um, you know, especially for, uh, his wife, Deborah and, uh, and Joey, um, and, and Joe himself. Um, and this is just a little something that, um, you know, I thought was, was, uh, an appropriate way to, uh, to show that we're all thinking about the family right now. And, um, you know, it, 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 it is something that, is one of the hardest things to go through. Um, and, and Joe's dad uh, passed away back in 1997. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this, this, this has been his, his guiding angel since that time. And, um, you know, um, your life kind of changes when your parents pass on. And now Joe is, essentially the the elder statesman of the family right yeah and um you know uh it's 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 a lot to have to go through to uh the process of um everything that they had to do uh in in a in a time frame that you're you're here on the west coast and you have to go back to the east coast right and man there's a lot of stuff to do um and and he's had the love and support of the family helping him out and um i think that um what you're about to hear um will show joe that if he needs anything from anyone here in las vegas during this time uh we're all just a phone call or a message or a text away um from from doing what is needed to be done and, um, and, and really quick, a great example was the way uh, things have gone uh, this past uh, weekend with uh, Impact being in town. Um, Rocky T and the FSW crew did one fucking hell of a job yeah. in, uh, in getting shit done and, and working long hours, man, and doing everything to make sure that experience was top notch for impact wrestling. So, you know, that, that shows that when the unexpected happen, it means that people rally together and they're not going to let something, you know, slip. Um, they're going to, they're going to step it up and they're going to show that they care by doing what is needed to be done so that Joe can focus his time and Joey can focus his time on what needs to be done for the family first. And so, um, you know, Joe, from all of us who, uh, you know, you've been around, whether, you know, it be, uh, you know, a 
long time, you know, 12 years in FSW Mm -hmm. or, you know, five years or six months. Um, Everyone who is a part of this thing that is your creation and your baby, it's your family. And this is what your family has to say to you. It's Ricky G from Los Suavecitos. Um, just wanted to send my condolences to you and your family. I know these are very hard times, but at the end, everything will be all right. Just got to stay strong. All right, take care now, Jefe. Hey, Joe and Joey. It's uh, Michael Modest. I wanted to call and give you guys my condolences. Losing a parent is the worst thing in the world, Joe. God bless you guys, and uh, I hope you're doing as well as can be expected during this horrible time. Much love to you guys, and God bless you. Yeah, this is uh, Ben, and I just wanted to uh, let you both know, Joe and Joey, that um, you guys have been there for me like whenever my uh, my mom passed away and stuff. And I'm here for you, so whatever you need, let me know. Uh, my condolences go out to you, and um, we all love you guys. Hey, Joe and Joey, this is Remy. I'm just leaving my condolences for you guys in this time of need. I just want to let you guys know that I love you, and uh, you've always been family to me. So in this time of need, if you ever need anything or you have something you need to get off your chest or any of that stuff, just know that we are all here for you as a community. Uh, We love what you guys do for us, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, this is Tom Howard, and I just wanted to give a huge shout-out and thank you to Joe and Joey from the infamous Las Vegas Wrestling Tribe. They took us in, and myself and my beautiful bride, Zoe Stark, a.k.a. Lacey Ryan, and uh, made us feel like uh, we were family from the very beginning. I truly believe our journey to get here to Orlando to do what we're doing now would not have been the same without them. And just want to thank you both. You guys are amazing people. Just want to say thank you so much for everything you've done for us. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Big Taco Juicy Final. One half of uh, the Taco Usos. I just want to send my love and my condolences to uh, to Big Joe and Joey Tafaco. You know, um, I want to let y'all know that my heart and my my family's love is nothing but with y'all. And uh, uh, we pray that Heavenly Father continues to watch over you guys and continues to keep you guys strong in these trying times. So I want to send my love to you guys and uh, just know that I'm always thinking of y'all and I'm extremely grateful for what y'all have done for my career so far. And uh, nothing but love to you and your family. And uh, and I pray y'all come out of this stronger than ever. Oh, Father, love y'all, man. Hey, Joe and Julian, the whole DeFalco family. This is Josh Shibata. Uh Giving my condolences and uh, my prayers to you guys and Joe, especially for the loss of your, your mother. I know it's a very tough time for all involved. It's, it's never easy to lose a loved one. But just know that you have a wonderful support system, uh, not only in Vegas, the entire wrestling world. Um, I definitely have a lot of time for you joe and both you and joe joe and joey because you guys were one of the first to really give me a shot so anything i can do to help you guys uh just say it because uh, you guys gave me a lot of opportunities and i will always appreciate that but again uh, in your time of me just know that you have a lot of love and support and that uh, we're always there for you so Again, my prayers and everything for your family, and uh, wish you guys all the best. Hey, what's up? Uh, this is Nino. Just wanted to say we appreciate you, Joe, 
everything you do for us. You are definitely in our thoughts and prayers for me and my family. My deepest condolences to you and yours. Like I said, we love you. Thank you. Keep your head up. Hey, Joe and Joey. Soccer trash, man. Sending condolences to you guys. Uh, sending a bunch of love and prayers from your FSW family. Love you guys. Hey, this is Ryan, um, a.k.a. Leon Hater, And I just wanted to send my condolences to Joe, Joey, Deborah, and, and the whole DeFalco family um, for your loss. Please add me to the list of, of all the people that are uh, here for you and, and are here to show our support and our prayers. And just know that, that you know, if you need us, we're here, and, and your family's got your back. It is Cutthroat Cody Hancock, and we are expressing our deepest condolences to Joe DeFalco on the passing of his mother, and we're extending that to Joey as well as Deborah. and we just want you to know that you are all in our hearts, and anything that we can do to lend an ear or bring a smile uh, following this uh, we would be more than happy to do so. So please be strong, and we will be looking forward to seeing you all soon. Aha! You know what it is. Behold, you are now in the presence of the fly. King of the North, King of the Valley, one for the lights, camera, faction. Press, go, Maddie. And honestly, I want to give a bit of a shout out to the Hefe of FSW, Joe DeFalco. I know things are beyond, beyond, beyond rough right now. I can't even, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to lose your mother. So I just want to let you know that the fly and the rest of the FSW roster, we got your back. We want to make sure when you come back to take care of business that everything that you left is the same way it was when you get back and that we can get this thing going. My condolences to you and your family. And I hope that the wrestling and the greatest movie you've ever seen will continue to help you and your family heal. And that's not fact or opinion. It's the gospel. Thank you, Joe. Uh, this is Kenny King. Um, this message is for Joe and Joey DeFalco. Uh, I just want to say that here in the Las Vegas wrestling scene, the, the DeFalco name, the DeFalco family um, is synonymous with the scene. And to me, the, the DeFalcos are, you know, we're, we're not friends, we're family. So I just want to send my condolences. Um, I know what it's like to lose your mom um, and a grandma. And uh, it's not easy. There's really nothing anybody can say. Um, just know that I'm here for both of you, uh, should you need me. And God bless. Hey, Joe. Uh, my deepest condolences to you and your family in these trying times. Um, really sorry to hear about your mom. And it's always a tough thing to go through to lose somebody, especially when it's your own mother. You know that FSW has always got your back and we'll take care of things for you. Please take care of yourself, take care of your family, handle everything. Have you ever needed anything? Know that the guys have got your back. Love you, Joe. Take care of yourself. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joey. Um, this is cheerleader Melissa. Uh, my family and I would love to um, extend our sincere condolences um, during this very uh, sensitive time that you two are going through. Losing a loved one, especially a parent or a grandparent, is absolutely one of the most challenging and difficult things that we have to go through in our lives. But I, we wanted to send our loves and our condolences, and we're here for you if you guys need anything. Hey, Joe, Joey, man, it's uh, Danny Limelight. I'm just calling because I'm sorry for the guys lost, man. I heard what happened to your mother, and I feel so bad for you guys. 
never in the easy way to lose somebody. You know that you're through that love. There are people here for you in your corner. And again, I'm just sorry for your loss. And I wish you would tell us to love and appreciate you guys. Your way. And I want you guys to know that if you guys need anything up here, okay? Send prayers your way for your family, loved ones. Love to see you guys Hey there, this is Ice Williams and, and Action Braxton. And we just wanted to pay our condolences to the DeFalco family. This is a tough time and uh, we're, we're here for you. We're here with you. You guys, uh, deepest condolences on the passing of your mother. You know, FSW and the rest of us, we have you guys' back and we want you guys to know that uh, we're here for anything that you need. Hey, Joe, Joey, it's Brandon Gatson here, man. I just wanted to send my condolences, prayers are with you and the fam. If you guys get through this, let me know if you guys need anything, man. I'll see you guys soon. Again, sorry to hear for the loss. Take care, guys. Joe, this is Steve Eastloss. Uh, myself and Michelle send our deepest condolences to you and your family during these tough times. Hopefully, you remember all of the good, all of the love, everything that your mother taught you, everything that she was there for, everything that she'll continue to be there for in spirit. Wish you nothing but the best. We're so sorry for your loss. Joe, Joey, it's Nick. I just want to send my condolences to you and your family for the passing of your mom and your grandma. You two are two of the strongest men I know, just like she was, come to find out. And I hope you two get through this together. Love each other. Stick with one another and stay as strong as you can. Thank you guys for all that you do. I love you both. Once again, my condolences go out to you and your family. Hi, this is Rocky T from FSW. And it's never easy losing a loved one. I just wanted to send my condolences to Joe, Joey, and Deborah, and all of the Falco family. If there's anything that I can possibly do um, to ease your pain, please just let me know. I'm here for you. You guys are like family to me. Love you guys. Hey, uh, Joe, Joey, it's uh, Jay. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm thinking about you guys a lot. And I just wanted to say and express about how much you guys you know mean to the vegas scene and that we're all thinking about you and we're here for you whatever you need so please don't hesitate to reach out hey joe and joey it's jordan cruz here i just wanted to offer my sincerest condolences to both of you and of course your entire family as well i'm sure you guys are getting flooded with uh messages these past few days uh and everything like that but I am just glad that you guys were able to get home, be around your families during this time, and always know you always have your extended family out here to lean on for anything you guys need. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys again real soon. Hey, this is R&B Shug, or Sugar Brown. Just wanted to send out my deepest condolences and prayers to uh, Joe DeFalco, Joey, Deborah, and your family as you guys go through this uh, trying time. Joe, just know we're with you, man. You, have a, you be good, man, and uh, keep your head up. Hello, this is Alice Weyer. I just want to send my deepest condolences to Joe and Joey during this time for the loss of his mother. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sending you well thoughts and wishes to you and your family. Hey, what's going on, Joe and Joey? It's Clutch. I hope everything's going well. I hope you stay strong in your tough time of loss. Keep your head up and blessing and prayers for you guys. Hey, this is your warlord of Sinbodi calling into the Vegas Bad Boys podcast. And I wanted to say my condolences to the DeFalco family, Joe and Joey. There's no words to describe the loss of, of your mom, Joe's mom, Joey's grandma. Uh, absolutely no words. So I will leave you with a nice, beautiful visual. Joe, when you get back to Las Vegas, 
my loving, gorgeous clown face will be waiting here lovingly to rub clown paint all over you in your awesome salmon shirt. And uh, for Joey DeFalco, just know you have a big brother. You can lean on any time. I'm your guy, my man. So to the DeFalco family, you all be safe. You are loved. Handle what you need to handle. Pull yourselves up. And uh, I'm sure your mom, your grandma is very proud of you guys. And she's looking down at the stars, probably hanging out with Macho Man and all the other wrestling gods. All right. You all have a wonderful night. All right. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the DeFalco Files. And we will see you again next week. Peace.